The following is a message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org. That's D-U-R-K-E-E-T-O-W-N dot O-R-G. Take out your bulletins and go to the front of the bulletin. I want to start uh, this morning um, with the poem by uh, Samantha Lynn Nye. Uh, it will have some bearing in our sermon and also it really helps us in this uh, second week, uh, second Sunday, the second Sunday of Advent. Poetry is uh, a real gift. Um, and it's, you know, it's hard sometimes. I read poetry, but I always read it with a guide because I'm not necessarily uh, intuitive about what I read, and especially when it comes to poetry. For, fortunately, the guide is with us today. She can tell you why she used certain sequences and words and um, and I would really encourage you to do that because there's so much ballast um, to this to this particular poem. I'll try to I'll try to do it justice. Though defined by doubt and darkness in a world of wicked ways, we desperately long for the promise of a brighter, better day. And the sentimental journey we appear to anticipate in reality is a war which leaves a ravage in its wake. For the great and glorious champion who arrived to free the world was greeted with misinformed apathy and treated with ignorant scorn. So we who enter the battle on the side of our Savior and Lord are met with reproach and resistance and the swift swing of satanic swords. Though we harbored a hope and the promise, from the shadows seductions may cease, of discouragement, death, and delay, we might struggle our loyalty to keep. Here we hark to a previous promise and recall how in frailty and shame the highest of highest was lowered to the earth. A fulfillment, provision was made. His arrival did Herald no comfort, for, for he brought earthly citizens' doom, and his light but exposed all the demons who skulked in their hearts' whitewashed tombs. Yet to the, they who awaited his advent and prepared in their yearning hearts' room, he imparted a hope of salvation, of deliverance from their deep gloom. So we know in our current oppression, we have confidence unconquered strong. There advances a doom for the wicked and a grave reckoning for all wrong. On the day the heavens cleft a chasm and this time without modest approach, our Lord cometh mighty and marvelous, fulfilling the promise he spoke. So prepare your heart for a reaping of joy and your mouth for a purging of lips. We rejoice in the day fast advancing of doom and deliverance. Now, Father, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart might 
be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Uh, going back into the month of November, there have been a series of sermons preached that are in the category of topical sermons. Uh, that is, we are not preaching uh, verse by verse certain texts, but instead we are taking topics. Brian took a topic, Tom took one, I took one, and now in Advent uh, we will do this again with topics, which means that it provides an opportunity to explore the larger breadth of Scripture about a particular theme. So when you see uh, the sermon text as being Genesis 6 through uh, 9, uh, don't expect me to be in Genesis 6 through 9, although I would encourage you to read um, the, the passage. Don't forget, each Sunday we put in the bulletin next week's sermon passage so you can read it and know it in advance. It's like with any pursuit of, of you know, learning, coming prepared is the best way to learn. Uh, there should be no surprises at this point in how we are a church ministering the word, whether it is uh, giving you in advance the New Testament and Old Testament readings or the sermon text. It is all there for your use. You must apply yourself with greater diligence to be ready when the word of God is open and when the scriptures are read. Although I, I would say uh, that uh, today's sermon will provide some um, basis for conversation about some of the things that I might say specific to the Noah story. And then also the passage that Bob read from Ezekiel, that's a rather strange, ominous passage. Uh, you might have some questions about that. Wednesday, 11 or 6.30 would be appropriate time to come and ask those questions. Many of us learn the Noah story from two or three sources. One, of course, is the Bible. Another uh, might have been that great spiritual song we sang in children's church. The Lord told Noah to build him uh, and cover it with gopher children of the Lord. There you go. You did a lot better than they did at St. James down there. They were having a meal afterwards. I threatened to take away their dessert for their poor performance. Um, you got it right. But a third, um, a third, and this will uh, date some of us, was Bill Cosby. Um, Cosby gave us that well-crafted comedic sequence. It's the Lord, Noah. I want you to build an ark. Right. What's an ark? Such as the comedy of the 60s. Well, however we might have learned the Noah story, I hope we live the main point that Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And just like Noah, we need grace as well. Some years ago, I was asked, if to be a Christian, one had to believe the Noah story as a literal story. My response was, you don't have to believe in a literal flood to be a Christian, but once you become a Christian, I think you will begin to believe it as a literal story, in part because of how it is used in the rest of the Bible. Just as Noah, whom... Peter identifies as a preacher of righteousness, preached the coming judgment 
alongside uh, the offer of salvation, Jesus and the apostles followed the same pattern. Being creatures of righteousness is how they expressed their longing for people to turn from their sins and for God to set the world right again. I thought about this. I don't know what uh, Noah might have longed for more. The judgment of God to come, which meant he could finally you know, be done building the ark and get into it, or for the judgment to be over so he could get out of the ark. It must have been quite a thing to be inside the ark. Honestly, I struggle with longing for both. I, I love the church, the body of Christ. I love being in the church. I enjoy life with a family, with you, joined together by a common confession in our baptisms, in our fellowship together. I love it. I long to be with you. I wish we could meet every day. But you know, I also long to be done with the incompleteness of the church. For the day to come when Jesus does what Paul said he will do, present the church to himself, free from spots, wrinkles, and any other disfigurement, a church holy and perfect. Now that, that's a reveal party worth longing for. When Christ reveals the church in her glory. I, I think that longing, again, powerfully expressed in the poem by Samantha Lynn Nye, her opening stanza grabs the serious business of longing, though defined by doubt and darkness in a world of wicked ways. That that cadence is really important. We desperately long for the promise of a brighter, better day. And then challenging what so many people's opinion is of the church, a sentimental journey we appear to anticipate, but we're faced with what she calls reality, war, which leaves a ravage in its wake. For the disfigurement to be dealt with and for the church to be made presentable, for the wars to end and the ravages of wars to be healed, another ark had to be constructed. But this ark didn't take over 50 years to be built. It was part of the gift of womanhood to a young virgin named Mary. And what we read in Luke chapter number one is that the ark of salvation now is a life-giving womb. And in that fleshly ark, to quote the English poet John Donne, immensity cloisters. Immensity cloisters. Ponder anew how God turns the Noah story upside down. In the Noah story, you have the immensity of the flood raging against the ark. And cloistered inside are eight people who were given grace. But when grace is given to Mary, her womb 
becomes an ark and the immensity of God moves inside a space about two inches wide and three inches in length. Immensity, cloisters in a womb. But as you put those two stories side by side, the Noah story, the miraculous conception of Christ, a tragic parallel unfolds. Some years after Noah and his family come out of the ark, sin manifests itself again. It is an ugly thing to say. But if the sin of Cain killing his brother Abel is unimaginable, as we talked about last week, how much worse is it when Canaan, the son of Ham, the grandson of Noah, commits incest with his drunken grandfather? We would like to think that if the punishment is bad enough, like a worldwide flood, then people will just straighten out and, like the old song says, fly right. The Bible tells us a different story. The accounts of Cain and Canaan tell us that more will be needed than judgment. That God himself will have to come and take the judgment upon himself. In the words of Isaiah, then, it is God's servant who is wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquity. And this happens, of course, when Jesus, the faithful, perfect son of Adam, Mary's son, was crucified in accordance with the scripture. The immensity of God in the flesh, cloistered in the womb, becomes immensity fastened to a shameful cross in public view. Just as the only hope for salvation in the days of Noah was to go into the ark, the only hope for humanity, the only hope for us, is for us to, by faith, turn from our sins and enter, by faith, into Jesus, the ark of God's salvation. But something we don't often think about happened when Jesus took his final breath. I'd like you to go to 1 Peter chapter number 3. 1 Peter chapter number 3. I'll give you just a moment to get there. I'd encourage you to go to that scripture to, to read it along with me. 1 Peter 3 verse 18. Something, something happens when Jesus takes his final breath, not only was the head of the serpent crushed as promised, we read that last week in Genesis 3, but Peter tells us that Jesus took a little trip in his spirit. Listen to what he writes. I'll begin reading in 1 Peter. Did I say 2 Peter? Okay, good. 1 Peter chapter 3, because I said 2 Peter, and they were going to take away my dessert, Donna St. James, Um, but I got it right now. 1 Peter 3. Verse 18, for Christ also died for sins once for all, and the just for the unjust, so that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which, that is, in the spirit, he also went 
and made proclamations to the spirits now in prison. Now, who are these spirits? They were the ones, Peter tells us, who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah. So Peter links Noah with the death of Jesus and then with um, a proclamation that needed to be made to those who were disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is, eight persons were brought safely through water. Why does Jesus do this? Why does Jesus take this trip? Well, traditional interpretation gives us one word, vindication. Vindication. Let's face it, Noah must have appeared ridiculous. Not only had an ark never been built, but to that point it had never rained. The earth was watered with the dew that came up from the earth. For well over 50 years, Noah builds an ark. And as he builds, he preaches that God's judgment was on its way. How absolutely silly it must have sounded. But according to Peter, who then tells us what Jesus preached, ignoring Noah was not the greater offense. The great sin was to disregard the patience of God who graciously offers the salvation. And so when Jesus visits those imprisoned spirits, it was to tell them that not only was Noah right, but more importantly, God is right. And that they should have listened that they, he gave them more than adequate time to respond. All of this means that although the two stories run parallel with each other and are, are tragic, they do not end in tragedy, but they end in victory. The promise has been kept for when Noah and his family walk out of the ark, it is a precursor of Jesus walking out of the tomb. The tomb then becomes another image of an ark, <coughs> excuse me, in which salvation was given. And so from um, this, this tomb, which becomes, as it were, a womb, a new world is born. Immensity cloistered in the womb becomes immensity cloistered in the tomb. Immensity once fastened to a cross is the immense one who fills the cosmos with his spirit sent to empower the church to do her work. And what is that work we are to be doing in part? It is longing, waiting, hastening the day, the coming of the Lord. And so I ask. Do we long for the day? Do we long for it? A admittedly, it can be difficult. The same challenge that Noah faced are challenges as well. How silly we look. 
how silly we look. I, I had one of those pat me on the head, feel sorry for Ken moments last night with about 60 of my friends from my CrossFit group at a party. How you doing tomorrow, Ken? You know, I'm going straight. Oh, how, how silly it must sound. Even more silly, more unbelievable that we would tell them that they would be held in account for their sin. And that a day of judgment is coming. How ridiculous it sounds. How offensive, how offensive it is when we preach the righteous judgment of God. And yet the offer of forgiveness of sins through faith in Jesus. It's hard to long for the day when people disregard the very thing we believe in. But remember a day is coming when every knee will bow. And on that day God will be vindicated in the sight of those who ignored his glorious son Jesus. And counted his patience as a thing not worthy of their consideration. Perhaps that famous line by Bill Cosby, what's an ark, needs to be reconsidered by the church. I'm not sure we remember that the church is the ark, the place of God's salvation, and the place where you are being made ready, prepared for the return of Jesus Christ. I don't know that we believe that longing for his return is serious business. Perhaps if we did, we would organize ourselves around Jesus and his church instead of so many kind of using the church as an a la carte to whatever other activities they might want to do. I'm concerned that our desires, deadened by materialistic, Cain-like attitudes, building cities away from God. I am gravely concerned that so many people's desires are filled by the cheap, soul-destroying sexual perversions of the day so easily accessed. So I pray, may God give grace as he did to Noah. May God give us grace to be the kind of church where the one who came cloistered in the womb is faithfully revealed through his word, at his table, in our baptisms. And may our church never be a sentimental journey, but instead like Noah, a place where righteousness is preached and longing deeply embedded on our hearts so that when the great day of judgment comes to this world, we are ready to receive our Lord. Where meek souls will receive him, still the dear Christ enters in. And may he come and enter in the fullness of glory. Amen. Father, I give you thanks for your word to us this morning, and I pray, O Lord, for your mercy now as we receive it. May you grant grace for us to receive it.
as the Word of God, that we might intently long for the promise as we prepare our hearts for the table in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Ken Prater of Durkeytown Baptist Church in Fort Edward, New York. You may freely copy and distribute this message, but please do so at no charge and without altering the contents in any way. For more information about Durkeytown, please visit our website at www.durkeytown.org.